Uh, so go ahead and, and turn to Exodus chapter 20, and we are going to be reading verses 8 through 13. Um, so Exodus 20, verses 8 through 13. And these are the words of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and, mo- and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall not murder. These are the words of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we, God, we are grateful, first, that you even uh, reveal yourself to us, Lord. We uh, humbly confess that we uh, daily break your law, that we daily sin against you. And Father, we uh, admit that we need forgiveness. We admit that we need your grace. God, we thank you for Jesus who came and perfectly fulfilled the law and uh, received the penalty for our breaking of your law. And God, we ask now in this time of studying your word that you would be speaking to our hearts. God, I pray that you would encourage us in ways that we need encouragement and Father, I pray that you would convict us in areas where we need, uh, where we need to be uh, pushed, Lord, to, towards uh, a, greater, um, a greater degree of Christ-likeness. And so, Father, we ask in this time that you would bless it, that you would be teaching us from your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing in our series uh, called Ten Words, um, and this is a a study of the Ten Commandments. Um, I I shared last week part of the reason why I wanted to go over the Ten Commandments. I shared a couple reasons. Is One, um, just for for me, when I was first being discipled, a lot of my discipleship um, came from New Testament passages. That was kind of what I was... Uh, what I was taught and, and what a lot of the people who invested in me, they didn't really uh, help me learn how to engage with the Old Testament and how to apply it to my life. And so um, I would not want that for you guys. I want you guys to see the whole Bible as uh, relevant and applicable to your lives because that's the attitude that the Apostle Paul had, right? Uh, in Second Timothy 3.16, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for uh, training for rebuke, for teaching and um, correction. And so Paul's attitude towards all of the Bible is that the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament letters that were in the process of being written when he wrote that, uh, all of the Bible is useful for us and for our lives, right? And so 
Um, and the, the second reason that I mentioned is that uh, I feel like a lot of times in the modern evangelical church, the Old Testament is kind of looked at as irrelevant. In fact, there are teachers, uh, pastors who have actually said as much and said that they don't think that we really need to bother reading the Old Testament. Um, and I just think that that is a really silly thing to say and a very uh, cavalier attitude to take towards God's word because all of God's word is relevant for our lives. Um, and so with those, those two things in mind, last week we talked about the first three commandments, which are, you know, you shall have no other gods, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, and you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And tonight, we're going through the next three commandments, which have to do with the Sabbath, honoring your parents, and uh, not murdering. Uh, so, let's see. <laughs> so we'll dig into that one. Um, but uh, as I was thinking about, about this passage, and uh, one of the things that you'll notice here is actually, as you look at verse 8, and 8 and 10, there is a little bit of a shift, whereas the first three predominantly focus on our relationship with God, uh, the, the fourth commandment acts as a little bit of a transition because, as you can see, he talks about how you are supposed to keep the Sabbath, right? But then right after that, he moves into, he says, but it's not only, it doesn't just affect you, right? But also those that are under, that you are responsible for, right? So you see your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock. Uh, apparently even animals are supposed to have a Sabbath day, fun fact. Um, or the sojourner who is within your, your, uh, within your gates. And so it's interesting now as we, as we move into kind of the second, the second uh, section of the Ten Commandments, this Sabbath one acts as a little bit of a transition, whereas last week, uh, predominantly focused on our relationship with God, this week and the following weeks are going to predominantly focus on uh, the, um, the people of God and their relationship with one another and the relationship with the world, right? And so it, it goes from the vertical, right, the up and down, to now to the horizontal, right? So how do we relate with one another? And so the theme for tonight's message is that God's law shows us how to live in relationships with one another. So God's law shows us how to live in relationships with one another. Lindsay and I both really enjoy uh, board games and uh, Sometimes we can be a little bit competitive, um, and some and sometimes not. Uh, she is usually the one who wins. Uh, I apparently I'm just not very good at board games, or I'm doing something wrong. I don't know what. But Lindsay usually beats me. Um, but as we as we think about when you when you're playing a board game, there are certain rules that have to be in place in order for you to compete with one another, and in order for there to be a a determining of who wins, who loses, you know, there have to be certain laws that are in place, right? Otherwise, it's just chaos, and you have no idea what's actually going on. And in a similar way, what we have tonight, next week, and probably the following week, is now God is beginning to, to direct Israel 
in their relationships with one another and with the outside world. And so uh, he's kind of giving them these, these laws that teach them how to live in relationships with other people. And as we, we noted last week, uh, these, these laws are uh, the covenantal obligation of God's people, right? Um, but we also noted that God first rescued Israel out of Egypt and then gave them the, his law, right? So he didn't just say, if you, if you do these 10 things, then I might rescue you from Egypt, right? I might deliver you. No, God delivered Israel and then said, now as your response to my deliverance, live in this way. Because now Israel and uh, Yahweh are in this, this relationship together, right? They come and they, they make a covenant together. And so as we are looking at this passage, we want to ask, we want to ask, what does this passage teach us? What principles does this passage teach us as God's people that, that govern our lives, that teach us how to live in relationships with one another, right? And so the first one is this. The first principle that is taught is, is rest on the Lord's day. Rest on the Lord's day. The second one is respect for authority figures or respect for parents. And the third is the preservation of life. The preservation of life. So rest on the Lord's day, respect for authority figures, and preservation of life. So let's talk about that first one. Rest on the Lord's day. Look with me at verse 8 where it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then drop down to verse 10. The Sabbath day is, or excuse me, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner that is within your gates. And then he gives the reason. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And so this fourth commandment that we're looking at, God is establishing a day of rest for his people. They, it, is, it is a call to the people of God to take a break on the seventh day from their normal work, their normal vocation, right? Not only uh, the, the head of the household, but also everybody that is within the household, God calls them. He says, hey, this Sabbath day, I'm calling you to rest on this day. And so it was this emphasis of focusing, uh, devoting a, a day uh, as holy to the Lord, right? It's this idea of I'm going to set aside, uh, they were going to set aside a day for worship and focusing on their relationship with God and the people of God, okay? And what's interesting, actually, is if you look later on in the book of Ezekiel, uh, specifically Ezekiel 20, verse 12, God actually says that he gave them this sign as a, uh, this, this day, as a sign that they belonged to him, right? And so it was yet another sign of God's covenant with them, and it was a, it was a symbol that Israel belonged to God, 
I think about, uh, it's time for another Safeway story time. Uh, when I first started working, when I, it has been a while. Actually, I had someone request it on Wednesday, so, so I, I got two in here. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll double up, and then I can take a break for a while. Uh, but when I first started working at Safeway, um, they gave us these, these brown button-up shirts, you know, that said Safeway right here, and, and uh, you had to wear black pants, uh, and you, a lot of times you had to wear a hat. I mean, if you, you know, if you like combed your hair, not in my case, um, but if you, if you combed your hair and made it look nice, you know, you didn't have to wear a hat, right? Um, but uh, so they, they give you this uniform, right? And it is an identity marker. It shows that you are actually uh, an employee, right? You are one of the people of Slaveway. Oh, I mean Safeway. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was also a joke where we would, uh, anybody who has worked at Safeway calls it Slaveway. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was this, this, this uniform is, is a symbol that you are part of the people, right? You're, you're one of the, the group. Actually, it's funny. When I was in high school, I was thinking about this, thinking about this idea of uniform. Um, I used to wear like really tight, like skinny jeans and like the band t-shirts and stuff. And anytime I would go into Hot Topic, everyone's like asking me where things are. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't work here. I just look like I work here. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, that's just a for free. Um, but this idea of, of, you know, a uniform, right? Being an identity marker. This, in a similar way, the Sabbath acted as uh, an identity marker for the people of Israel because this would have been, as far as we know, there is no other culture in, uh, in ancient times when, when God had given this law to Israel. There is no other culture who had a law like this. This is absolutely unique. And it's actually not, uh, it's, it's unique in our day and age as well because how many of us have, have noticed, I'm sure you guys have noticed, that in our culture nowadays, it is very common to just work, 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 right? Work follows you home, especially during the pandemic. It, you, you work at home, right? And so there, there is not this, um, there's not this attitude of, you know what? I'm going to set aside one day and devote it wholly to the Lord and to his people, right? You just don't really see a lot of that in today's culture. And what this, this commandment does for us is it actually can act as a, a testimony in a way that you belong to the Lord. When you say, you know what? I am going to take one day a week and I'm going to devote it and I'm going to keep it holy for the Lord. I'm going to devote it to worship and to, uh, to focusing on my relationship with God and God's people, that makes a statement. You know, we've actually talked about that a little bit in our small group upstairs. Uh, you know, when someone asks you how your weekend was, and when, when Joel says, well, you know, on the Sabbath day, I, uh, you know, I devoted it to the Lord, right, and to God's people, and I worshiped and I focused on him. That says something to the people that you interact with. It says you're different. And even if they don't, you know, inquire more, it at least is a little bit of a, of a witness. Now, I will give a caveat that there are a lot of really smart people who disagree with me as far as like whether or not Christians should be keeping the Sabbath. Um, I think they're wrong, but there are, there are various views out there. And I'll, I'll just give you one reason why I think the Sabbath or even just the practice of taking one day a week is, is a good thing. Uh, when you see Jesus talk about the Sabbath, 
in the New Testament, he never, ever, ever says that it has gone away. You know what he says? He says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was given to man. The the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is God's gift to his people for rest and for worship and focus on, on our relationship with God and with God's people. And so my question for us is, as we see this commandment in Scripture, do you have a regular day of the week where you rest in the Lord's presence? Do you have a regular day of the week where you rest and you devote it to the Lord and you say, God, I'm going to worship you today and I'm going to focus on my relationship with you and my relationship with your people and I'm not going to allow the uh, homework to creep in uh, late night assignments on Sunday night, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of that, right? Like I'm in seminary right now and working here full time and I'm just going to admit that as I'm sharing this with you, I... I don't keep this very well, honestly. And I need, to, I need to get better at this because this is what God's word tells me to do, right? Um, but it is, there's such a temptation to just allow, you know, school assignments or things maybe that you forgot to do, different chores or, or different things like that. Uh, it, there's such a temptation to cram all of those, you know, in at the end of the week. And then you haven't actually taken time. You haven't actually devoted time to the Lord, or he gets the leftovers. And so my my question for us is, as we are, uh, you know, in this relationship with God and relationship with one another, are you guys taking time to rest? Because God has given this gift to you, not only to show that you're different, but also for your own well-being for your own heart, because it is not good for us to be going 24-7. We need rest. And one of the things that's really cool uh, that one commentator said about about this this idea uh, or this commandment of, of taking one day in seven is he said that what this says uh, to the outside world and what we say to God when we take that one day is we say, God, I do not own my time. You own my time. And you can tell me how to spend my time. And so not only does it, it send a, uh, a message out to everyone else, but it also is a, a very special thing between you and the Lord. And you say, God, you, uh, to quote uh, John Cooper from Skillet, God, you are my boss, right? Uh, he tells this story about how when he was five years old and he gave his heart to the Lord, he said, that was, that was what he said. He said, Jesus, you're my boss. And that's really, that's, that's what we are saying when we, when we keep this commandment, when we're, we're obeying the Lord. We say, God, you're the boss of me. You own my time. You created time. And so I am going to honor you and I'm going to obey you and give you this, give you this day where I focus on worshiping you and uh, my, focus on my relationship with you and with your people. And the wonderful thing about the Sabbath is it's like, uh, I was just telling Brienne as we were first starting, is it's like there is so much that goes into it. Like it really makes me sad that I, I'm only doing like one week on it. But the Sabbath actually points us forward. You see, 
what the Sabbath ultimately points us to is it points us to the future rest that we will have in the presence of Jesus. You see, in this life, this life is like the six days where we work, where we toil, and we, we strive after holiness. We, we serve the Lord with, with all the, the strength that he provides us. And finally, when we see him face to face, we enter into that ultimate Sabbath rest in the presence of Jesus. It's, it's a really beautiful thing, and it's very rich. And, and so my encouragement to you is also, as you, as you begin to practice this, uh, thank the Lord for this gift, and thank him that one day you will rest in his presence forever. So that's the first, the first principle, is rest in the Lord's presence. But the second one is this, is that we, uh, as the people of God, and Israel as the people of God, are called to respect authority figures. Look at verse 12, where he says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so the fifth commandment, uh, it deals with the relationship between parents and children. The commandment is directed, which I think is really interesting in and of itself. Um, I won't go into why. Uh, but it is directed at children, right? So the assumption is that the children are present when the law is being read. Um, and it's, it's directed towards the children. And, it's, and it is uh, that word honor there. Um, it, it does mean honor, right? It, the, the Hebrew word there means honor or to give due respect, right? But what's interesting about this Hebrew word is that it also uh, can also be translated as the word as, as heavy or as burden, which se- seems a little bit odd, but think with me for a minute. Imagine that you are standing in front of the Grand Canyon. In that moment, there's a bit of a heaviness, to it, right? As you're as you are standing before something that is so majestic, so beautiful, right? There's a there's a heaviness to that moment when you see the glory of God's creation, right? Or if you maybe you really like a particular band uh, and you get to actually like meet them, it's like it feels like a heavy moment, right? And that's kind of the idea that's being conveyed by this word, by this Hebrew word. It's like when you are in the presence of, of your parents or of this authority figure, there is a, a weight to that, to that moment and to the opinion of that person. Now, I recognize in saying that, that the parents that God gives to us are sinners. Just like you and me, we are sinners, right? And so what this commandment, it doesn't, it doesn't give a little like escape hatch. It's like honor your father and mother if they don't, you know, if they aren't terrible human beings, right? It just says honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I was talking with my friend James 
a couple months back, and and uh, my friend James was in the navy in the navy, and uh, he used to tell me about this authority figure that was in his life, one of his commanding officers, and uh, he would tell these stories about this guy who was just absolutely crazy. Like I have no idea how this guy like remained in the navy. Like he would like make threats against the people that were underneath him, like bodily threats, and he like one time uh, threatened James's like family and stuff. Like the dude was absolutely crazy. But James recognized that there was an authority figure that was above him. And even though that individual did not necessarily deserve the honor, James continued to honor him because there, it was, he was honoring the office and not necessarily the individual. Does that make sense? And in a similar way, because your parents and my parents are sinners, they're going to make mistakes. But that does not allow us to wiggle out of this from underneath this commandment. God has given it to us, and he says that in your relationship with the authority figure in your life, this is what it looks like to relate to them, to honor them, to show respect And so my question for us is, as we're thinking about this commandment, do you guys, as you're thinking through the authority figures in your life, your mom and your dad, your teachers, do you guys show the due respect and honor that God commands you to show to them? Is that something that is a regular, uh, a regular thought in your head How can I honor this person? How can I show that I am respecting this teacher? Or how can I show that I'm respecting my mom or my my dad? And the reason why this is so important is because ultimately when we disrespect that mom or dad, that authority figure that God has placed over us, It doesn't stop there. The disrespect travels upward toward the God who placed them over you. And so God has this sovereign right, and in his kindness and goodness, he has given us the parents that he has given us and placed the authority figures in our life that he has placed. And when we rebel against that, when we say, when we don't honor those individuals, that dishonor travels upward to the God who placed them over you. Does that make sense? And the wonderful thing is, if your answer is no to that question, uh, and it probably is, um, at some point we have all dishonored our parents or dishonored authority figures in our lives. If your answer is no, the gospel has really good news for you. We have a savior, Jesus Christ, who perfectly honored his father to the degree that he was willing to come to earth, uh, take on a human nature, fully uh, obey God's law 
then die in the, on be, so he obeyed on behalf of his people and offered that perfect obedience to the Father, and then he died in the place of his people, experiencing the penalty for our breaking of that commandment to honor, and rose again to prove to our hearts that we may be forgiven when we dishonor our parents, when we dishonor authority figures. The gospel sets us free from the condemnation that we might feel, from the guilt that we might feel when we fall short of living up to this this commandment. But I do want us to be thinking about that, that question. Am I showing honor to my mom or my dad or, or uh, to teachers or those authority figures in our lives? It's, it's not something that I regularly think about all that much. It might not be something that you regularly think about all that much. But it is something that God commands of us as his people. And so we ought to be thinking about how can I apply this in my own life in the context in which God has sovereignly ordained for me to live? So second principle is to uh, respect the authority figures that God has placed over us. And the third, the third principle is that we, as the people of God, should desire the preservation of of life. We as the people of God should desire the preservation of life. If you look at verse 13, it's four English words, you shall not murder. Now this commandment seems pretty straightforward, right? Don't go around whacking anybody. Uh, but what's interesting is actually the Hebrew word in and of itself that is translated as murder there. Uh, it actually can include not just intentional murder, but it actually also includes what we might call manslaughter. So accidental death that is, the, the, that is caused by negligence or stupidity. Um, and so that is included in this, this commandment. Um, and actually, if you want, if you want to see, uh, see that, that unintentional element, if you look at Leviticus 25, that this Hebrew word is used all throughout. And in that chapter, what is being talked about there is accidental death, right? The causing uh, death accidentally. And it seems pretty straightforward on the face of it. Uh, don't kill anybody, right? But then you uh, come to Matthew 5. Uh, so go ahead and turn there with me. You come to Matthew 5 and Jesus gives us a little bit of a, a new insight into this commandment. Uh, look at Matthew 5. Uh, specifically, I believe it starts in verse 21. Yeah, Matthew 5, 21. Where, and Jesus says this. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. So that's Matthew 5, 21, starting in verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so what's interesting is Jesus now... He's not contradicting this, this commandment. 
Okay, he's not doing away with it. What he's doing is he's actually showing us that it's deeper than the surface level. On the surface level, so you shall not murder is like the starting line, okay? That's where it starts, and Jesus deepens it, and he says, actually, if you become enraged, that's what that, that Greek word there, I think it's orizo, um, but that's what it means. It means to become enraged with someone. If you have had that happen in your life, you have killed them in your heart. Someone once said that we can murder not just with our, ha- with our hands, but we can murder in our heart. We can kill with our words, with our thoughts. It is, this commandment goes much deeper than just uh, choosing not to kill physically. And so the commandment is not just a, uh, a prohibition of physical violence, but it also includes a prohibition of the angry and evil intentions of our own heart. It was actually interesting when I, uh, when I, shortly after I became a believer, I had an encounter with someone, uh, this is Safeway story number two, by the way. Um, so I, shortly after I became a Christian, I started working at Safeway and uh, there was this guy who was a, uh, he was a corrections officer, so he worked at a prison and he would come in and I have no idea how these conversations would happen, but he would come in and he wasn't a believer, but we would start talking about the Bible and I don't even remember like how it happened. I think Maybe he, maybe he saw my tattoo or something because I have Romans 6.23 on my, on my arm. Um, and so we would start talking, and he's like, you know what really, what really uh, confuses me was verse 13 of this, of this section of Scripture. Because he, as someone who worked in the law enforcement uh, field, knew that it was a very real possibility that he would have to take a life in the line of duty. And so this really bothered him. And so when I explained to him, the, I, I just took time and I explained to him, you know, that actually doesn't mean he was reading Old King James, which just says kill, uh, which, you know, Old King James is, uh, if, you, if you read that version, um, there's a lot of debate over whether or not that's the best uh, translation. Um, and in this instance, I don't think it's the best one. Um, but so he was reading from that translation. And so I told him, I was like, no, that's not what it's talking about. And as we had this conversation, it was actually really interesting because his perspective on the the Bible and on this actually began to change through this conversation. But I share that story because a lot of times it's actually really easy for us to kind of misunderstand God's word. It's really easy for us to think, well, if it's just this, then, um, you know, this is just kind of the, the bare minimum. Right? I, I, as long as I don't kill anybody, then I'm not breaking this commandment. And that is a misunderstanding of what God is calling us to uh, in this commandment because Jesus tells us that it, it goes deeper than that. So as we ask, as we ask you know, questions of this passage and as we think through it, I, I, I got to ask you guys, maybe you haven't killed anybody recently. Um, but have you bottled up anger in your heart towards someone? Have you become enraged with someone? Have you been hurt 
and then allowed that anger to fester in your heart towards that person. I know I have. Maybe that's something that one of you guys are dealing with right now where you have some anger that's bottled up towards someone. What this commandment teaches us is that we have broken God's law if that is true of us. Someone once said that when you uh, think about God's law, you think of it like a window, that when you throw a rock and it crashes through, it doesn't just, it's not just like the one, it's like you're guilty of breaking it all. And if you need evidence of that, look at my windshield. Uh, there was a small, a small thing, and then it just, you know, went all the way across. And the same is true for us when we, when we break one of God's commandments. I believe it's James says that we are actually guilty of breaking all of them because all of God's law is intertwined together. And so as we're thinking about these these commandments, as we're thinking about God's call on our lives uh, through this passage of Scripture, I want to remind us what we talked about at the beginning, that these, that these laws are like, like the illustration that we talked about at the beginning, that they are the, the rules for, uh, like the rules of a, of a board game. It's like you can't actually have anything meaningful happen unless the rules exist and govern the way that you interact with another person as you are playing that game. And in a similar way, we will not have good, flourishing relationships with one another or with the outside world unless we begin to put these things into practice. And I want also to remind you guys that even though this passage is literally a list of do's and do nots, they are not the, the way that we come to God. We come to God through Christ. We get, into, we get into a relationship with God through the death, through faith in the death, resurrection, and perfect obedience of Christ, fully relying on him and his finished work. And as we come to God through Christ, then as Jesus says in John 17, so as my Father sent me, I also send you. And so we who have come to God through Christ are now sent out in response to the gospel to live out what is embodied in these verses. But they are not the foundation for what makes us right with God. We are made right with God solely on the basis of Christ's finished work. So with that said, let's pray and we will uh, jump into our small groups. Father, we come before you and uh, God, we are grateful that you uh, give us your word. God, we are not left to wonder uh, how to live this, this thing called the Christian life. Um, we don't have to try and figure it out on our own. But God, you have given us uh, your scriptures. You've given us your law to teach us, Lord, what true righteousness looks like, what true justice looks like. And so, Lord, as we enter into this time of discussing uh, this passage and and. Uh, connecting with one another. Father, I pray that you would uh, bless this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.